Since everyone has a gender journey, Gender Journeys is a podcast for everyone. That being said, we occasionally touch on mature themes and use strong language, so listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, and I'm joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Hello, hello. All right. So what are we talking about on the podcast this week? This week, we are kind of like coming back to something we talked about last week. We talked really briefly about a memoir that I had read and kind of our ideas on gender creative parenting. Mm -hmm. And then after we recorded that episode, we were like, yo, that seems like a whole episode unto itself. Right. Before we dive into it, though, I want to give a little bit more context on the memoir itself. So this is a memoir called Raising Them by Kyle Myers, um, who uses she, they pronouns. And her, along with her husband, are raising a child whose name is Zoomer which is a phenomenal name. (laughs) And they did not assign their kiddo a gender at birth, so they use they-them pronouns, and that's phenomenal. Yeah, and and from what you told me of it, they also very specifically didn't allow other people to know their uh, child's biological sex. Yeah, so that was a part of it. They didn't let anybody, like, change or bathe their child for, like, a couple of months so that everybody in their family could get used to using they-them before they were, their little brains saw whatever genitals their baby had and, like, went into Mm -hmm. using whatever pronouns would have been assigned at birth. So that, they did that for a couple of months. And then after that, they let, like, family members new but only once they'd gotten to the habit of calling the baby they them mm-hmm. so yeah so that that was part of like the gender mm-hmm. creative thing right. but before we really dive into like the intricacies of the memoir and our own plans on maybe one day gender creative parenting <laughs> we'll get there i do just want to give a bit of a disclaimer for this episode kyle talked about it pretty significantly in her book and I want to give the same disclaimer for Josie and I as we talk about our plans of gender creative parenting. Kyle has a shitload of privileges walking into this plan. Mm -hmm. Kyle has a PhD in gender studies, is from like an upper middle class would be my guess. I mean, I don't know all of their finances, but I would say upper middle class and is in the US. Um, Mm -hmm. And is white. And is white. And more specifically is in a like heterosexual passing relationship and is white. And I mean, ended up making like, her career now revolves around raising them and other like work that she has done around gender creative parenting. So like mm-hmm. <laughs> she literally gets paid to do what she's doing, raising her kid mm-hmm. in some ways. I mean, like, I'm not saying it's not a challenge, but like right. she walked in with a lot of privilege to this moment and she at no point tries to be like, this is what everybody should do. Like it was hard for her and she had all these privileges to like right. freaking when she was trying to get a daycare for Zoomer, she determined the one daycare that would be woke about all of this and then like went there with cookies once a week, every week for like six months because she needed to get on the waiting list. Like that's the sort of shit that right. her privilege allowed her to do. And like that is not. <laughs> that is not where everybody's at. That's not the baseline of American life. <laughs> exactly. Um, and she was in a major city. She was in, um, I I'm pretty sure 
Um, she was in Salt Lake City in Utah. So right. she also like had access to these things. There are huge right. swaths of this country that literally don't have right. access and to a daycare that be willing to call your kid they them. Right. And I mean, like as far as super liberal woke cities or like large cities in America, Salt Lake City is not the most super liberalist. Um, I had a cousin who lived there for a while and she had some run-ins. But like, it still is a big city. And like you said, like clearly there were places that were able to be accommodating of this. And Kyle was brought up in the Mormon church so they know how to navigate that social structure, right? Right. Something that also really stood out to me um, when Zoomer went to daycare for the first time in the memoir, Kyle made like little packets of like play-doh and like a couple little toys and then like a little card that explained zoomers lack of a gender and their gender creative parenting and like linked their blog and that's just something that only a white bitch who was raised in this community knows that other white bitches who were raised in this community are going to appreciate and respond well to like that honestly (laughs) that's like that is that like social um capital right that's Mm -hmm. knowing how to navigate in your environment and like i don't say that to cheapen it at all it's a skill and she. Kyle's phenomenal at it. Right. But... But it's something to be acknowledged. It's something to be acknowledged. So I just want to start this off with that. Yeah. Because when Kyle wrote this book and when we are about to record this podcast right now, we're not saying that this is like anybody who doesn't do this is automatically a bad person. Oh, God. That's such a scary concept. And like, especially when it comes to parenting. There's just so much. Oh, my God. I would never in my whole life have the audacity to tell somebody else how to parent. Yeah. Like, not being a parent and talking about this already stresses me out because, like, I'm like, I can sit here and be like, I'll raise my kid gender creatively as fucking much as I want. I don't have a kid. It's all hypothetical and fun. <laughs> like, if there's somebody listening to this who is a parent and you're still listening, first off, thank you. Yeah. Second off, like, it's totally valid of you to be like, haha, these bitches don't know. Because <laughs> right. we don't. We don't right. have we a kid. We don't. Like, you know, and I think that there are, I, and I think that... We might talk about this a little more later, but I think there are also gender creative ways to raise a child that don't involve actually um, using just they, them for them. And not, yeah, there are ways to assign a gender. So like assign, like, this is your daughter, this is your son, and still raise them gender creatively. 100%. There are other books on that. We can link some of them in the show notes. That exists. (laughs) I just think that, like, for us and for the purposes of this podcast, which is like kind of more exploration and like... We've kind of been on like a visionary fiction type kick recently, like imagining what's possible. Mm-hmm. Imagining fully not gendering your kiddo at all. Yeah. Yeah. Is really quite fun. So yeah, with that, do we want to talk about like what our views on gender neutral or gender creative parenting were before I read this book and kind of where we're sitting now? Yeah, let's let's start there. Because they like changed good... pretty dramatically. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So I know I know I remember uh, just for context, I had in my old job back in New England. We had a sort of, uh, in theory, it was supposed to be a like a trans support lunch kind mm-hmm. of thing. It was really cool. I met a lot of really cool uh, genderqueer folks there, but also like a bunch of cis people showed up and made it into a learning space and it was fraught. Mm-hmm. But there was an individual there who I believe they were indigenous or they had an indigenous background and they were raising their child in an indigenous practice of not assigning their child mm-hmm. a gender at birth. Hell yeah. Um, which was super cool. But you and I talked about that like, a year and a half ago at one point and mm-hmm. we had some very different like just ideas on the feasibility of things like that yeah yeah i hope we didn't say anything too woke about a practice that we have no fucking concept about if it was native practice but mm-hmm. well i think that <laughs> I, I, I think that we very specifically didn't comment on the native practice part of it just the uh parts that we could possibly adopt in terms of like mm, you know like okay. is it feasible for us to do 
yeah. gender creative parenting in the sense of like not assigning a gender. I definitely for a long time thought that it just wasn't feasible. Yeah, I, I was on kind of the same boat. It just felt like, you know, we can raise our kid to know that like the gender we give them mm-hmm. when they are born is not the end all be all. I mean, like it's a gift. It can be rejected. Yeah. Yeah. It can be changed and modified. You mm-hmm. can you can like learn around it and learn how to accept the parts of it. I mean, our kid was going to at the end of the day, our kid is going to end up having if we have a kid when we have a kid. When? When we have a kid. Our kid is going to end up having two trans parents. And so, like, that's going to fundamentally (laughs) shift. That's going to fundamentally shift how our kid sees gender. Right. But for a long time, it wouldn't have felt possible to, you know, raise a kid with a gender neutral mindset. Yeah. And I think for me, a lot of that not thinking it was possible wasn't, like, outside world influences. Like, I also, we have some of the similar privileges that Kyle has. Like, I trust and believe that, like, we would be able to, not just that we would because we could love our kid more. No, 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 no. But we would have access to daycares like Kyle found. Like, Mm -hmm. we would have access to schools. Like, we would have access to communities where if a teacher wasn't woke about this shit, the community would be on our side. However, I had all these hangups about, like, well, won't the kid just be, like, overwhelmed or confused or, like, this idea that, like, you have to have, like, a starting point. Right. And like the world is this way. Yeah. And the world is gendered. So are we not setting the kid up to deal with the world? Yeah. 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 And so how has that changed, do you think, then? Yeah. So I think that a lot of what changed. So in raising them, Zoomer is only like maybe four, maybe five at the end of the book. They're Mm -hmm. still very, very young. And I think that part of not being a parent (laughs) and I also don't have any younger siblings either which is another like right access that some people have to young kids I just don't think that I'd really when I thought about gender creative parenting I thought about the fights that would go into when you drop that kid off at school I don't think I'd really conceptualized how many years you'd have that kid just fully under your control and Mm -hmm. um not your control but like you'd be the only person interacting with that kid right and from what Kyle said like a lot of their friends, because they created a community of gender creative parenting parents um, when they were gender creative parents. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> when they were doing this, um, and something that they said is like a lot of the kids that were being raised gender neutrally started like declaring pronouns and declaring genders at like four, five, six mm-hmm. um, before they'd enter school. <laughs> I mean, you can send a kid to daycare before that, obviously, but like before they'd enter like public school, if that's the route you're going. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think I'd fully conceptualize that. And that really changed a lot of what I was thinking. Right, right. It almost, I think that, I think that part of the like, part of the trap that people like you and I can fall into is we fully know that gender is a construct mm-hmm. and it's a social construct. But it's a social construct with teeth. With teeth. And like, when you just kind of lean really into that idea of like, okay, gender is a social construct, which means it doesn't really exist, which means that if you raise a kid without a gender, they're just not going to know what to do with it when they encounter it. Right. And that, I think that that is part of the fear of like, well, what is my kid going to do when people start gendering them out Mm -hmm. in the world? And like, because real people will gender them and like whether or not we prepare them for that is crucial. And so if we raise them gender creatively without assigning them a gender, are they even ever going to know? But I feel like uh, raising them kind of change your perspective on that because of that yeah idea that they kind of start self-declaring at a relatively young age for the most part obviously not all of them and like the comf so a lot of the memoir is like literally describing what zoomer does when things happen to and around them right right <laughs> um especially like once they're a little bit older and can like 
respond. Um, yeah. And, like, the comfort that was at least portrayed that Zoomer had with being, like, kind of accepting people when they gendered them or, like, brushing it off or being, like, I'm not a boy or a girl. Like, just the comfort that they had navigating that space because they had all the self-confidence in the world because they'd literally never been taught anything differently. Right. They'd never been taught any shame around it, which, like, I don't think that I'd fully conceptualized how powerful the lack of shame is. Because, mm. like, as much as you can teach a kiddo that, like, there is nothing wrong with, like, going against the grain. There's nothing wrong with, like, you know, boys wearing dresses or whatever it is. That kid will still internalize that if they are a boy, they don't ever see boys wearing dresses. And so there right. will be some amount of, like, friction to that. And I think similarly, not to, not to cut you off, but I, I think similarly, if you tell boys like no there is nothing wrong with boys wearing dresses then a little part of that gets that kernel in there of like but some people do think so and so you have to actively guard yourself against that but Mm -hmm. like that that still plants that little like little it's still some friction in there whereas like again this is like maybe maybe 200 page memoir it's four years of this kid's life. I don't fucking know, right? This is all, <laughs> this is all just considering. Mm-hmm. But it at least paints it as like, Zoomer just never developed a, like, like they knew how to gender other people. They knew other people fell into different categories, but like they never developed their own intrinsic sense of like, oh, I should be this. It's okay that I'm breaking free of it, but I should. Like, no, 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 none of that. Right. Mm-hmm. I actually, I mean, and I guess also partially kind of important context for this particular episode of the podcast i haven't read this book <laughs> yeah. josie did not read this book josie got all his various ted talks throughout the book which are just as good frankly <laughs> honestly yeah. it's a good book yeah. you should own it i mean we'll buy it again i'm sure if and when we're more serious about having a kiddo yeah yeah so then where where are you currently in the idea you know speaking of us having a kiddo because <clears throat> i mean that is at this point i think an inevitable future yeah we're going to have a kiddo at some point yeah where are you kind of seeing yourself and seeing us as a parenting unit around the idea of raising a kid in a gender creative way mm-hmm. because like i think that i mean i think inherently we would be raising a kid in a gender creative way right i think having two trans parents as i said earlier mm-hmm. is inherently <laughs> going to be gender creative like if Our for kid no... is going to be an actual age before they realize that gender and genitals have a connection because they won't be able to learn that in our house and what other genitals will our kid see for like a significant portion of their life. Yeah, like what other interaction will they have with biological sex? Yeah. And like, yeah. So that's already true. Mm-hmm. I think that's something I think about a lot is, so another piece of important context, like Josie and I were really seriously thinking about having a kid in 2020. Mm-hmm. I've made a couple of jokes on the podcast about how I went off my hormones for a couple of months and then went through a new testosterone puberty and my beard came back and all sorts of other things happened. The I went reason- off my fucking birth control and it was much less fun. <laughs> and and I mean, and the reasoning, the reason for all of that happening was because we were gearing up to have a kid. And then I really think that I got my birth control implant out like fucking like probably literally a year ago. It was like March 10th. It was like it was like the same week that the shutdown happened. Yeah. And then it became clearly a very bad idea. Yeah. So and then we, we didn't uh, do that. rolled back our plans a bit. Um so like there was a really real thing that we were thinking of doing. Yeah. And so I think that so it, and we didn't. And and like it's not happening. Now, yeah. Yeah. Um because the pandemic and then I'm going back to school and like 
in the way that I'm thinking about it, there was like a window that that could have been really, really cool because I'd be happy to be in school with an infant. I'm not going to be pregnant in school. That's not going to be something I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I'm a big believer in like, you shouldn't just take like, just because we want to have a kid in 2020 doesn't mean that we should want to have a kid in 2021. Like life is allowed to branch. Like that was one branch of our life that the pandemic murdered. (laughs) (laughs) Just got rid of, it's gone. Right. So like, we don't have any plans of having kids now in the next couple of years, which means by the time that we have a kid, or any solid plans at least, by the time we have a kid, we will be more established. And something like this feels more accessible to me, right. if that makes sense. So, yeah. like, if we'd had a kid in 2020, oh, we would have been, like, like we wouldn't have had these privileges. We would not have had a surplus of fucking money or time yeah. <laughs> to, like, do shit like this. True. Like, and that's a real consideration. Like, that's okay. Like, I don't think that... You're fucking failing your kid if you gen- if you assign them a gender. No. <laughs> like, parenting is a series of making the least bad decisions possible. Again, we think. We think. We have actually no idea. But, I mean, based on my experience with my parents, I imagine. Right. But so the fact that, like, so my parents had me super young. I've always wanted to have kids, like, in my early to mid-20s. And that seems like it's a window that's, like, closing, given mm-hmm. that Jersey turns 26 very soon. <laughs> Um, so early 20s are behind us. And so, like, I think that when I think about having a kid later, I think that more doors are open. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the doors that, like, or more options. Maybe we just have more keys. We can't open all the doors because we're fucking 30. That's not how that's going to turn out. But, like, we have, like, more resources. And this is something that I would like to spend those on. And so it is something I'm super interested in. I am not fully committed to the idea of, not assigning a gender, I think that'd be really hard. I think it'd be really hard. I'm not sure I'm committed enough to it. I'm not sure I have the language to describe. I also, something that like, a privilege that I think Kyle had that I have not thought of until this exact moment, when Kyle started this process, um, she identified as a trans woman. Sorry, (laughs) she identified as a cis woman. The opposite of a trans woman. The opposite of a trans woman. (laughs) So when she was trying to explain this to her parents and stuff, she could explain it from a very academic point of view. If my parents refused to call, or not my parents, my parents are chill. But if my, if like people refused to call my baby they, them, I would also take it as a personal attack on my gender identity. Right. And so that's a whole nother level. Like there would just be a lot. There it would, would be, be very fraught. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like at the same time, that would be something that maybe like I could bear more of the weight of because right. like, it's not like we would automatically assign our child woman at birth. Yeah. Like, no matter what their general configuration was, that would be a weird energy. That would be a weird energy. I've never considered that. So, like, my personal identity as a trans woman would never come under fire from that. So, like, possibly I could maybe take more of that emotional burden if we decided to go down that path. But it is, like, fraught. And, like, you, it wouldn't change the fact that somebody would have to do that and that wouldn't, and you would have to watch somebody do that, even if you weren't the one that personally had to do the defending. Yeah, I think it'd be really fraught. I think it would be very difficult, and like it would depend on a lot of things that like we can't judge right yeah. now because it's gonna, it's it's like it's years out. It's years out. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think that something we mentioned in the last episode that I think is really interesting because you brought it up as a quote. I mean, a paraphrased quote from uh, mm-hmm. raising them that. Zoomer, the mm-hmm. child, is going to grow up in the least gendered yeah, I think generation. That's I is that how it goes? Yeah, something like um, that. Not the most non-binary. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, probably, I guess, probably the objectively the most openly non-binary. Um, but like, but the least gendered, like the generation after Gen Z, the like people who are currently being born and or are like infants and toddlers right now, that group is kind of poised for gender to not be as like concrete of a thing for them right and that's the generation that if we have a kid even if we have a kid four or five years from now that's the generation that our kid would be a part of and so like i think it will be very interesting to kind of see this sort of shift happening around us yeah and i think that that would be kind of cool to experience Mm -hmm. and i mean i think that's part of the reason that i would want to lean towards like full not assigning our kiddo a gender but Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a middle ground there? Do you think that there is I'm a way? I'm sure there is. <laughs> like, I'm sure. I don't know exactly what it looks like. I haven't seen anybody mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. I think that the issue is, and something that, like, Kyle talks about, is, like, there's so much, like, insidious gendering that happens to infants. Mm. Like, I mean, we can talk all we want about the stupid little onesies that are, like, <laughs> ladies' man, or, like, the weird ones that reference the mom's tits. Ooh. So weird. Um, uh, I, I've blocked those from my mind no those are still real they still get sold and they still are loved huh they're so funny and they're so funny or like lock your girls up or daddy's little girl or whatever Mm -hmm. so like that shit like that's the dramatic version of it right right (laughs) but like there is still so much like insidious gendering that happens to like little tiny infants of like literally how people perceive them Mm -hmm. and so i want i wonder about if a middle ground could be not assigning them a gender until they're like three. Right. And then allow, like, once they go to school, allowing them to kind of be sucked into that gender, but like really giving them that like first cocoon. Also, something that like I've just been thinking about is how much that first cocoon matters in terms of development of a child. Right. My field is psychology, but I never took developmental psychology. So I don't actually, I don't have like the academic <laughs> background in it as much as I would love to. <laughs> But it seems like it matters a lot, more than you would think, given that the baby doesn't, like, interact, like, doesn't speak and shit. And then also, like, you don't, like, we don't consciously remember those times growing up, but they definitely... But they still, they change. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Mm -hmm. I wonder if that could be a middle ground. Or if, like, a middle ground could be that, like, we refer to our child in a gender-neutral way and probably give our child a relatively gender-neutral name. Yes, well, I mean, I think that's kind of, like, a given. And then, like... Only in interactions with the outside world would our child have an experience of having of being gendered and then like having frank and open discussions with them when they eventually very suddenly gain the ability to talk from what I've seen of children. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, like kind of giving a space where they can have that kind of protective cocoon of like, yes, out there in the world gender is a thing and also clearly in your home gender is a thing because both of your parents do have genders Mm -hmm. they're just you know maybe not quite as one of um, your parents has genders sometimes (laughs) (laughs) but having that be presented not as not in like absolutism terms and like you said earlier having it presented not as like it is okay to break these molds but having it presented to you as a thing that is something to be interacted with yeah like i think that that could be a powerful like middle ground in terms of like like gender as a relationship like gender can be just exist in your relationships with other people yeah yeah and i mean we talked last episode about gender being joyful Mm -hmm. and like deriving a positive life experience from interaction with your gender and like 
allowing our child to explore what that means. Yeah. So is there anything else that you think like could be said in a kind of summary here for this particular episode? No, I mean, this has just been kind of our ramblings on gender neutral or sorry, gender creative <laughs> parenting as to non-parents. Yeah. So again, mm-hmm. grain of salt. I, this is one of those topics that like, I mean, we mentioned it with Elle's non-binary top surgery. When Elle actually gets non-binary top surgery, we're going to revisit that topic. Right. When we end up deciding to have a child, we're going to be revisiting this topic and we are going to probably have read a lot more books. Um, yes. Yeah. But I, I mean, I guess- Get like, ready for the multi-year gender journey <laughs> podcast. It's going to be, we're going to have like little updates throughout oh gosh, our life. We're coming up on a year. Go on. We are actually coming up on a year. We should double check when our anniversary is to make sure we do something cool for that. True. But I guess just overall, I think that it's really interesting to have these conversations. I mean, I think it's interesting to have these conversations even as non-parents. Mm-hmm. Because I do think that it is interesting to like, you know, kind of start thinking in terms of how we are going to approach gender yeah. with our child. All right. So yeah, I do think that is where we're going to wrap it up this week on Gender Journeys, the podcast where we talk about just what the heck gender actually is in context. As always, I am one of your hosts, Josie, and I'm joined by your other host, my lovely partner, Elle. Bye, y'all. And until next time, just keep thinking about it. Music for Gender Journeys composed by Sonia Badash. If you want to stay up to date with Gender Journeys episodes or just want to say hi, you can follow us on Twitter at gender underscore journeys or on Tumblr at genderjourneys.tumblr.com. You can also find us online at josiewrites.com slash genderjourneys. We hope to hear from you soon.